tuned into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. I know what you're thinking. Did he fire six shots or only five? Well, to tell you the truth in all this excitement, I kind of lost track myself. But Ian, this is a 44 Magnum, the most powerful handgun in the world, and would blow your head clean off. You've got to ask yourself one question. Do I feel lucky? Well, do you, Bunk? You know, it's a, it's a little bit of uh, sad news. You know, we had Labor Day over the weekend, or over this past weekend, Richard, but uh, a little bit of sad news for today. I mean, a legend of Hollywood legend, Burt Reynolds, passed away. Yeah, I um, I heard that. It was, a, I guess he, from what I heard, he had a heart attack? Uh, you know, I didn't actually look into it. I just saw that he died in the hospital uh, this morning, uh, you know, with his family members around, so I don't know exactly what it was um let me see if i can find anything but yeah you know that's it's just that's i mean obviously the older you get the the more chances are that you're gonna be leaving us but it's uh it's a little sad did you see his his last movie um the the last movie star i think is what it's called um no i don't think i i don't think i got much of a chance to watch that it's a really good movie um it's uh it's essentially he's playing this you know elderly movie star and uh these these guys invite him to the Memphis uh film festival I think they call it the Memphis International Film Festival and then when he gets there it's really tiny and small and stuff and then he he's like oh this isn't the film festival I thought he was and then they're like oh you were thinking of the International Memphis Film Festival or something like that and, uh, you know, they're essentially just going to, they're going to talk about a lot of his movies and stuff, but it's all inside. It's like in the fe- film festivals in the basement of a bar. So he turns this into like a whole thing where he, uh, just travels around, uh, Tennessee to a lot of his old stomping grounds and stuff to look, to remember his past and, and stuff like that. It's a, it's a real touching movie. Like, uh, you know, something I thought was really good. And I just recently watched it. And if you get a chance, you should check it out. It's, it's, it seems like it's a little autobiographical. Like they even cut in, uh, footage from some of his, uh, real life movies. Cause he's not playing Burt Reynolds, but he is playing a movie star. So it's almost kind of like, um, kind of like jcvd was right where it's like he's kind of playing jean-claude van damme but kind of not at the same time well in that one you know yeah it's kind of similar but that one you know he jean-claude van damme is playing a heightened version of jean-claude van damme like the the character's still called jcvd but in in this movie uh uh burt reynolds is playing a character named uh vic edwards hmm that uh, that definitely sounds pretty intriguing. I I man, like I I heard the news and like the first movie that came to my my mind was Cannibal Run. Really? Yeah, I don't know why. Like it probably should have been like Smokey and the Bandit or <laughs> or something like that. But then like I was telling uh, I was telling some of my coworkers that like this is the problem that I have with Burt Reynolds is that. Whenever I think of Burt Reynolds, I almost always got him and Tom Selleck confused because, like, I they visually just like always kind of looked like the same person to me, even though they they have very different features other than the mustache. <laughs> I just I don't I like I don't know. I always thought they looked very similar, but 
But yeah, it, it, it's crazy though because I mean, he was in like, gosh, he he had to been in close to two hundred movies through through his career. I mean, his career, um, gosh, ha- had to have started in in like what the the fifties, maybe the sixties. It'd be like late fifties, early sixties, maybe I would say is probably when he started acting. Um, so I mean, like he he had just a long, long, uh, expansive career in in the industry, and uh, if I remember correctly, too, like I think he was one of the main driving forces behind um, Elizabeth Taylor negotiating her huge salary for Cleopatra, and so like I, I mean, he just was such an icon in, in the in the film world, you know, and it's it it is really un- unfortunate that he that he passed away and. You know, it's like you said, I mean, you you start getting up there and you, you know, obviously everyone is going to, you know, uh, pass at some time or the other. So, you know, he made it to 82 or 83, something like that. So, I mean, I think he had a, a very long, fulfilled life as well. So, you know, overall, I, I would imagine he had a pretty good quality of life, too. So, you know, it's still sad to lose kind of an icon and a star like that. But, you know, at least at least it wasn't like how it was when we lost like Paul Walker, you know, like that was just like a horrible, tragic thing that happened. And, you know, he obviously left way before his time. So, I mean, at least, at least in this situation, you know, he, Burt Reynolds got to live a very full, complete life, you know? So that's, that's at least the upside to it. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that he wasn't, he wasn't upset with the way that his uh, life or career for that matter, you know, ended uh, or, you know, it was towards the end there. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, it's just, uh, it's, it's, it's sad to see, to see anybody have, to, you know, uh, die, but it's, it is a part of life and we, and, you know, everybody moves on and you're right, you know, had, a, had a good successful life, uh, yeah. at least from the outside. Uh, well, thank you, Burt Reynolds. And, uh, I hope everything's good with his family. Now, uh, we didn't get to talk too much about Mission Impossible Fallout when that came out. I don't know. Have you seen it yet? I did, yeah. You did, I did see watch it. it. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> I had listened to uh, a few podcasts after that movie had come out, and I really I had a question for you because I heard a bunch of people talking about this. Now, I don't know if you know this, but uh, it's come it's been come to known that uh, in these later Mission Impossible movies... Um, Tom Cruise tends to say, "Hey, I want to do said st- an ex- like I want to do this stunt in the movie. Start building the story from there outward, kind of thing." So, uh, I think in this one is the the halo jump, the high altitude, low opening jump that he does with uh, Henry Cavill's character to get into the party at Paris. Still don't okay. understand why they needed to do the the halo jump to get into the party, but that's what they had to do apparently. You just gotta, you know, f- uh, fly high enough that you can't be detected by enemy radar. So <laughs> enemy radar know. for a party? I guess I don't know, man. <laughs> People, you know, you, you'd think that like at this point, with everyone knowing that IMF exists within like the terrorist world and the bad guy world, that they'd be more concerned about doing some sort of like facial scanning thing or like pulling on people's faces to see if they were wearing masks. Like you think that would become more of the concern in this, this film world 
than like plane radar, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they had to stay off the radar because they were sneaking into another country that you know they didn't have permission to be in, and so they were like violating some sort of you know convention agreement with the UN or something. I don't know. I don't know, man. There's there's got to be some reason they were doing it. I mean, I mean it, it, it looked cool. It, it, looked cool, it definitely right? looked cool. But I think it was just Paris, so I'm pretty sure France would have let them come in to the country. But either way, that's not what uh, I wanted to get at. Was uh, uh, a lot of people oh, talked. I was gonna say. <laughs> I was like, yeah, was, your, your question is on international. Uh, political affairs of special operations of organizations that don't exist. <laughs> uh, I, no, I wanted to get your, I wanted to, to get your knowledge, I guess. I picked your brain on a term that I kept hearing yep. while listening to people talk about this particular scene. So, you know, the fact that Tom Cruise wanted to do this jump. So he, he did it. You know, they made a special helmet for him so that, uh, Hit more more of his face is visible from the camera so that people can see that it's actually Tom Cruise. And uh, the cameraman, who also had to jump out of that plane to, <laughs> to uh, film Tom Cruise while he's jumping out of the plane, they said that the they had to pull focus. Like, the idea of... That's usually another person that does that off-camera yeah. or whatever. But, yeah. but this cameraman had to do it himself because you can't have all these people just jumping out of a plane. Right, right. what exactly is pulling focus when making a movie? Well, okay, so like you said, I I think it is important to point out that there usually is a focus puller or they're they're oftentimes called like the first assistant camera or the first AC, which is part of the the camera team. Um, Obviously on larger budget films and stuff like that, you usually do have a full camera team. So you usually have your cam op, uh, your first AC, your second AC. Sometimes you'll have like a second second, but it just depends on like really how big it is, like how big of a budget you have, what you're doing. Um, and then sometimes you can also have a camera PA as well. Like, so you just kind of have like a production assistant that's with that camera team that kind of just is like a, a generic gopher type of, of job, right? Um, but your first AC uh, or your first assistant camera is usually responsible for keeping the image in focus while you're filming. So they're constantly adjusting either with like a wireless follow focus or a connected follow focus. You know, they're they're manually adjusting where that focus is falling. Um, and, and that's why, as I say, like it was, it was really interesting when you brought it up because I was like, I can't imagine that you're going to have these full camera teams jumping out of a plane, you know? I mean, like, the second assistant camera, like, wouldn't really need to jump. They could, like, typically slate, and then they could do the jump, you know what I mean? Like, so so that wouldn't really matter. But, but yeah, the idea of just seeing, like, a cam op with, like, uh, you know, a first AC jumping out of a plane and, like, you know, manually doing it. Now, the thing that is interesting is, I guess, they would be traveling far enough away from the plane that, like, a remote follow focus which is usually wireless, wouldn't work, right? Because you right. usually get far enough away from a receiver that it just wouldn't work. Right. Um, but I will say this. Like, I was I was actually just uh, recently cam-opping on a, on a project uh, with some very quick-moving things. And I, I got to say, it is extremely difficult to try to follow all of the action 
off of the camera and adjust the focus all by yourself. So, I mean, like, if this dude was literally jumping out of a plane, skydiving while opping a camera, I mean, like, it's great that Tom Cruise is doing his own stunts, but that's actually more impressive to me that there's, like, <laughs> one guy that's like, not only am I going to skydive, I'm going to skydive backwards with, like, probably 50 to 70 pounds of camera equipment and try to pull my own focus, which... I mean, like, there's a lot of light in that scene. So, I mean, the 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 greater that you have, you know, your your aperture, right? So, like, if you're at like an f22 or something, like, usually everything's gonna be in focus. But I, I think the other thing they do, or or what I've heard they kind of do in a lot of Tom Cruise's movies, is they try to use longer lenses to get a softer depth of field to get like that bokeh. So, like, what that means is like when you're seeing the subject the subject should be sharp to the eye and then everything after that should be like kind of soft or slightly out of focus. So it has like a little bit of like a, like a blur to it almost. Right. And so I, I don't know. I, I can't, I, I don't want to say that it was easy. I'm sure it's definitely not easy to pull your own focus while opping a camera while skydiving. <laughs> but I would also have to imagine that at so, to a certain extent, They've got to be shooting that at, at a way that, like, adjusting the focus shouldn't have been that big of a priority. Like, I mean, sometimes when you shoot with, like, a DSLR or DSLR lenses, the 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 focal distance itself or the, the depth of focus that you get out of that is really small. Like, it's insanely small. So usually if you have to, like, focus pull on a DSLR, like, that is usually the stuff of nightmares. Um, but usually on like a lot of cine, uh, cinema cameras, I don't know what they shot this on, but I, I mean, I would imagine they were shooting it on like the best possible equipment they could get. Uh, and, and they, they mission Impossible at this point, it's like the fifth movie. They should have a, a very large budget. Six. So, I mean, they should it's be six shooting movie. six. Okay. There you go. Even more. So they as six, six movie in the franchise. They should have a pretty lengthy, but like pretty good size budget. So, I mean, like, I, I can't, um, I, mean, I mean, I'm sure he was pulling, like, I don't want to, I don't want to take anything away from what he's doing, because it's insane to think that somebody <laughs> was cam hopping and pulling focus while skydiving, like, and I, I mean, and then that adds a whole nother level of element to it, because you're obviously going to have a tremendous amount of, like, shake and stuff, which then makes me wonder, like, well, were they using some sort of gimbal system to kind of, like, stabilize the camera, or is it all post-stabilization? But I, but I just, I, I can't imagine that it was, like... I don't know. I have a hard time fathom, like fathoming that it was like that bad. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sure it wasn't easy, but I, I also don't think it was as bad as it could have been in some other situations based on like gear and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, uh, from what I understand, they, he, they did do the post-op stabilization because like, you know, they shot it so that it's so big that you can zoom in post and and stabilize it that way you know whatever that means like fo like 4k kind of thing they probably i would i would guess they probably were shooting in 8k i mean that's that's not i don't want to call it standard but it, it's certainly a lot more accessible now and i i would imagine they probably were shooting it in 8k right okay so yeah um yeah and i don't know exactly what camera they were using but i would assume it's probably not like the massive you know, I actually have no idea what, what cameras are, but like, you know, the whatever those super cool red cameras are, are or whatever like that, you probably don't jump out of a plane with that, right? 
Um, I would I would jump out of a plane with that before I would jump out of the plane with like a two hundred fifty thousand dollar Panavision camera. Okay. Um, like so, Reds are typically a little bit more, or traditionally, I should say, have been a little bit more geared towards smaller budget, like independent type films. Um, but that's not to say that there haven't been big budgeted movies that have been shot on it because there has been some pretty good stuff that's been filmed with them that have been pretty big projects but i i mean i would have to imagine that they were probably shooting on something something higher end than that i would i would fathom okay so essentially just like i mean to put it in layman's terms you know the person that or the way that you pull focus when you're using a regular uh camera that you know you're using when you go to your your uh, sister's graduation, so to speak. You know, that's the when you turn the lens and you focus in on something, right? Yeah. But this yeah. is this is you know a separate person that usually does it because the camera operator is operating a giant camera. Well, yeah, and I mean, like, not only that, but it it, it it's not just that, right? Like, there, in my opinion, there are people that are inherently better and and can develop the skill of pulling focus because you you have to really know what you're doing to keep it in focus because i mean it's really easy to to focus the wrong direction um not only that you usually have to have a really good skill set and 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 really good eyes to be able to kind of quickly gauge the distance right because that's what you're really really focusing on is what the distance range is and so you're kind of doing with that a lot of times you're in situations where you can get your marks and you can have them on like you usually use like a like a china marker or grease marker something like that to kind of like mark your your actual lines on the follow focus so that you know where to start and stop but there are certain situations where that's not you know and and like this would definitely be one of those situations like it's not like he's going to have time or they're going to know the exact distance that they are from each other and things like that. So, I mean, like, I really do think that having a first AC that is really skilled at pulling focus, it, it is a job. It is a skill set. Like, I, there's not just not like everybody can do that job, you know? Like, for me, like, I am pretty crappy at focus because, A, I wear glasses and I have pretty bad vision to start with. Um, but, like, judging distances is just not something that I'm, like particularly super great at and so i mean i could probably sit down and like really work at it and work at it and work at it and work at it and get better but i mean there are a lot of people that work in the industry that that's the only job they do and like it's an incredibly skilled position to have like you know what i mean like it it still takes a lot of of work and effort and and training and stuff to like get yourself up to that level you know what i mean yeah no i i I know exactly what you mean so so that was uh, that was interesting. I just thought it would, I'd like to get uh, your insight or you know a little bit of your knowledge on on the whole subject of the of that uh, what it is because uh, I heard a lot of people talking about it and I thought um, maybe other people might want to know what exactly pulling focus on a film set means. So there you go. Thank you. You're welcome. Um, you were uh, you were saying that you got to play some uh, you got to play a new video game. This, that just came out, right? Um, I think it. I think it came out. Uh, I think it came out in May. But I, I, as as per usual this year, my stuff has been 
pretty busy. Like, un- unfortunately, my movie watching is has gone down pretty significantly, and my gaming has gone drastically down, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I finally did get around to uh, playing uh, the new God of War, um, which is kind of interesting because they just call it God of War, but it's not really like a it's not really a reboot. It's still, I guess, kind of like a continuation uh, from what I what I've heard from other people. I haven't really been. Uh, super up to date in the rest of like the rest of the God of War games. I haven't really played too many of them, but uh, yeah, I got to delve into the new one and uh, check it out. And uh, yeah, it's it's pretty good. I guess it kind of picks up the story sometime after uh, God of War three, I believe. But it's kind of weird in the sense that it takes place in like a new realm. Uh, like, so Kratos, who is the main protagonist of the series, like, he kind of travels to a new, um, a new, I guess a new realm, I guess is the best way to, to think of it. Okay. And, uh, he, you know, he kind of settled down, he settles down in that new realm and has, like, a wife and a son, and then the game kind of starts when the mother has passed away, and so it's kind of this journey that uh, Kratos and his son Atreus who to me looks exactly like little young Jeremy Renner so like while I was playing it I constantly kept making the joke that uh, he was going to grow up and become Hawkeye and save the MCU from you know Infinity War Part (laughs) 2 and that was all thanks to like Kratos like training him in the ways of combat Uh. Um, but yeah so basically you know the, the, the mother or the wife passes away and uh, they they go on this adventure to take her ashes to the top of this mountain that she wanted to be spread you know or she I think she wanted to be like released into the winds atop this mountain and uh, and so that's kind of where your journey unfolds so to speak have you have you played any of the god of war games i know I, you're not like super big into gaming but no i've never played any of the god of war games and i know it's the kind of game that i would enjoy because it's that uh an action adventure puzzle kind of kind of game mm-hmm. um i just i just never have done it now let me ask you this how many god of war games were there before this one three I think there was only three, but I I might be wrong because I know there was definitely three numbered entities. I don't know if they did anything kind of like similar to what Ubisoft has done with like Assassin's Creed, where maybe they did like, you know, a mobile one-off or, you know, handheld titles or anything like that. I don't know if they've done anything like that. I feel like I feel like maybe they did since it's Sony. Maybe they did one for like the Vita or something like that, but I, I'm not entirely sure. Okay, so then my next question would be: Is this a reboot, like how the Tomb Raider games are, or is this a continuation from those other games, just in a new uh, dimension or realm, like you were saying? Well, so I guess like from from what I've kind of gathered and and from what I've heard from kind of other people is that it's it's not it's not really a reboot. Um, It is kind of a continuation. I guess there is some like homages and some like Easter eggs and things like that in the new game to kind of the past games. And, you know, even, even like your interaction with Atreus, like there's a lot of times where you're like kind of hiding the fact that you are who you are. Like you're not really wanting to tell him, you know, who you are or what your past was. So they're definitely playing up the idea that this is still within the same timeline it's just not necessarily within the same like 
realm or universe or whatever you want to call it as like the previous God of War games. Like this kind of like jumps into more of like um like Odin and Loki and uh Thor. So it's a little bit more of like Norris, uh Norris mythology and stuff like that. Whereas like I guess the previous ones, um he was like a Spartan. And so, you know, it's just kind of a different mythos and mythology that they're kind of exploring in this game. Um, but I think maybe that's kind of why they did it too, is they kind of allowed them to keep some of the character def- definition and like defining stuff that they had had with Kratos, but also kind of bring it in and present it in a different way with, you know, kind of like some new uh, environments and some new characters and things like that. So I think that's maybe why they called it like God of War is it's kind of like a fresh start, but it's like a fresh start without like a reboot. You know what I mean? Yeah. Okay. So, I mean, gameplay wise, what are we talking about? So for me, I, I got to say, first off, the, the game visually is just absolutely beautiful. Like the, the environments that they've crafted, the characters, like a lot of the animations for the characters, um, are all just very AAA, very high polish, what you would expect. For me, one of the shining things that I like about it in, in, in a certain regard is that it has a photo mode, um, which anybody that follows me on Twitter knows that like I constantly rant and rave about games that include like photo modes because I just think that that's such a cool like ability to kind of get to be this like in-game photographer and capture these like cool really like really cool moments of stuff that happen with inside of the game. That being said, though, I'm glad that they have a photo mode because it's better than not having one. But it's also super restrictive. Um, because, and, I, and I'm guessing it's because there's kind of like there's kind of like a lot of like puzzles and hidden collectibles and, and this sort of stuff. So essentially what they do is they bound the camera to like a you know, 360 degree bubble around the character. So there's only a certain amount of distance that you can actually separate from the character, um, which I find to be extremely limiting when you're trying to get like the perfect, and I don't know, I'm probably a, a, a psychotic whack job when it comes to photo modes and games. Like nobody else is probably like, oh my God, if only I could adjust this camera like <laughs> six more degrees in this direction and do this. But, like, they, they, they did do a lot of stuff where you can, like, we were just talking about focus pulling. You can actually set the focal distance, and you can set, like, the aperture, and there's filters, and you can change, like, uh, there's a few different, like, character uh, facial expressions that you can kind of, like, cycle through. So, so I mean, like, it, it, it does have a, a lot of features to it. It's just a little restrictive in, like, the movement of the camera, which I, I understand because, you know, they don't want people to use the camera to find, like, these hidden elements and hidden puzzle uh, solutions and stuff like that. But my thought was, and I don't know, maybe this is how it is, but my thought was, is like, well, an easy way around that is to make it to where when you 100% complete the game or the puzzles of the game, it unlocks the camera and you can just move it wherever you want, you know, or at least, like, triple the distance that you can move it right now, you know, like... Even that would be a great solution to me, but but that's just that's just me. Like I'm probably on a weird thing with that. So the real thing with this game, though, uh, is the combat, and this is where it kind of falls a little bit apart for me. So you're playing the game, 
And it's almost like an identity crisis for the combat system. It's like they can't really decide if they want the game to be kind of like hack and slash, kind of Arkham-style combat, or if they want it to be this time-based combo system to where you chain moves together. So it's it kind of ends up, ends up being a little bit of both things. It's kind of like that um, that old saying, you know, uh, jack of all trades, a master of none. Right. You know what I mean? So, like, so what should be, like, a truly, like, satisfying, rewarding combat system just feels to be more of, like, this uncertainty of what exactly it wants to be and what it wants you to experience. The other problem that I ran into with it pretty frequently, and I'm not not entirely sure where this kind of falls apart or what the exact problem with it is, but uh, I guess the way that I would maybe describe it is there seems to be a problem with, like, the the hitboxes. So there's times where you're fighting these enemies, and you should be landing hits, but you're not, and then there's times where you shouldn't be getting hit, but you are, and, like, vice versa. Like, um, they have kind of these really difficult... Uh, fights that you do against um, the Valkyries, which this is the hard... They're the hardest fight in the game, um, which is which is really cool. Like, I think it's a nice thing because it's something that's... It's something that's put into the game that you don't have to... You don't have to do it, but if you want to undertake that challenge, you, you can, right? Um, and so, like, that's kind of the most difficult thing, but, like, when I fought the very first Valkyrie that I was fighting... The, the time that I did actually beat it, I shouldn't have. Uh, because there was a bunch of times where I shouldn't have landed hits that landed. And that's kind of what ended up making me win the fight. And although I was really happy that I beat it, I also felt a little bit... It, it felt a little cheap and like I got a little bit robbed of the experience of like accomplishing this really difficult task with inside of the game because like I technically shouldn't have killed it because there's a bunch of hits that I had that legitimately should have landed you like and i know you're probably gonna like roll your eyes or scoff at this (laughs) but it looked a lot like the combat in netflix's iron fist Ah. where you're punching and you're like there's no contact but then danny rand's like on the ground wincing and the blood's coming off his back but like the monk bamboo sticks are still 10 feet away from his back so like there was a lot of moments like that in the combat there's a lot of these weird moments where you're fighting enemies and they like completely have no physics to them at all. Like they go from like swinging super close and like you roll out of the way and then somehow magically like in the middle of their like 180 swing like of their sword, they also happen to like lunge 20 feet forward and still hit you. So like, I don't know, there's just like a lot of kind of wonkiness to the combat which I think is a really kind of an unfortunate letdown because so much of the game um, is so well done and so well executed and so well polished that like the meat and potatoes of the experience are not really that great. Like it's like you ordered, you know, super high end, like 12 month aged Angus filet (laughs) or something like filet mignon or something. And you got like, you know, a mid-cut steak, you know, from, like, McDonald's. I mean, okay, that's a little too harsh. It's maybe not that bad. But, like, it's just it's just not up to the same level of 
triple a development and polish that the rest of the game seems to be up to um the overall story is pretty good um i do think there's a little bit more they could have done with it i, I think they could have really pushed the character development between the two of them um i think having the two characters was was a, a big benefit i think it makes you inherently care more for bo both of the characters however you get to this part where like the the son atreus kind of just becomes a little a-hole <laughs> and he kind of just stays that way like he kind of just doesn't really have this like redeeming quality that you would want him to have to where like you should care more for him but like i i also feel like that's a little nitpicky too because you're also talking about somebody who was like a blood baptized you know homicidal spartan that like it's not like he's gonna have a, a heart made of tissues or you know what i mean like so i think so i think there is some arguments to be made that it does fit the characters but i also feel like it kind of is a missed opportunity to not really just humanize this this character that potentially maybe hasn't been very humanized through the, the previous games in the franchise, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. So, so uh, that was a super short story made long. <laughs> uh, I, I have actually played a couple of video games recently. I played, uh, and I, I'm not getting off your subject of, of God Awards. Oh, no, 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 I just want to bring this up was that I played yeah. uh, Injustice 2 last week. Uh, nice. I played uh, Marvel vs. Capcom Infinity, I think is what it's called, or Infinite, Ooh. one of the two. But then I also ended up finally playing um, the the Batman Telltale game. Uh, I don't I don't remember exactly what the the whole title of the Batman game is, but obviously uh, in those Telltale games, you know the decisions you make influence the character and the game. Yeah. Uh, so that I was, I guess that's what I was going to ask was like, because you, you speak of, uh, what'd you say his name was? Aster? Um, uh, Atreus. Atreus, sorry. Atreus's character kind of becoming a dick. I was like, D does any of the decisions you make in the game affect how the characters start to become or, you know, their personalities? Um, is that an attribute? I've... Is that is that one of the attrib attributes of, the, of that particular game? From what I've kind of like heard and and talked to people about and read it isn't um i like the, the the story in it from what i've heard is very linear like it's not like um it's not really as heavy as like a choose your own adventure game or you know like a bioware game or something like that where you're gonna have tons of these difficult decisions that all combine together to give you a different ending so like i played detroit become human earlier this year too and like that game, like basically every decision you make in that game has some sort of impact on the ending. And there is multiple endings from my understanding uh, with God of War. That is not the case. Like from what I understand, God of War is very much just like this is the story that we're telling you. This is the story from beginning to end. And you have very little actual manipulation of of that story, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I mean, that, that makes complete sense. I mean, I know not all games are going to be uh, that kind of um, dynamic, I guess, you know, where they yeah. they they try, they do things like that. But, uh, yeah, um, I, I just, just wanted to know if maybe that was a thing that happened in that game or not. So, I mean, you were talking about Bioware games and, and also Detroit Become Human. Um, 
do you find that there's like do you is it just a different experience in general or do you enjoy those kind of games or enjoy or enjoy those games less uh where you know your decisions affect the outcome of the game um that's a that's a really good question i i don't i wouldn't say that i enjoy them more or less i think i think for me you know the the big thing that i look for in a game is is the overall experience um I don't even want to say story. I, I do really like story-driven games. I, I love a lot of like single-player experiences that have deep, rich narratives. And, and I think a lot of that maybe resonates back to the fact that I love film and storytelling so much. But I also play a lot of games, obviously, that have very little story because that's also been kind of a upward trend type of thing in, in the industry, right? I mean, Overwatch sort of kind of has some story elements to it, but doesn't really have like a fully laid out story necessarily like Fortnite and stuff like that. Doesn't, you know, uh, rainbow six siege doesn't really, you know, so I mean, there's a lot of like games, you know, even playing like grand theft auto, right? Like grand theft auto, like the single player experience has like a pretty deep story or, or at least, you know, a story, but you can do like all the online stuff and none of that's really linked at all to a nar- the narrative. Like you're kind of, working with other players and stuff like that to create your own stories. And and that's kind of become more of a thing that's common in gaming right now. I think that's kind of really one of the bigger elements of what we might see out of Fallout 76 later this year, which is going to be the first Fallout game in the franchise to ever have, you know, like cooperative or co-op or multiplayer type experiences in the game. So everybody's kind of like not really sure how that's going to work out, but it's also not going to have necessarily this, this huge lore, deep, rich narrative. Like it will probably have some element of that. So I don't, I don't think that specific trademark of like being able to choose your own ending and have it alter the the ending or give you a specific story is, is necessarily something that I look for, but I think it's kind of interesting when it's there. I think it can, if it's a very well put together game, a very well developed game, it can entice you to want to do multiple playthroughs of that game or to spend more time with that game, which I think could be really nice. And that's, I think kind of the interesting thing with God of War is I I went through the, the full story, completed the main campaign, but then I still have, a ton of other stuff that I could go do. I have a lot of side quests that I could go do a lot of exploring the Valkyrie fights. And like, overall I have found that I've kept playing it, even though I've compete, uh, completed the main story. So I, I don't, I, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I necessarily gravitate towards that, but, but I think it is kind of a cool thing when some games do it. And if it's done well, I think that that's, I think that's more of what should be the indicator for most people, and I think that is what's the indicator for me, whether or not I, I want to get involved with it, is what quality of an experience am I going to get with that specific game based on its mechanics? Ah, all right. And just to bring it back around to, to movies a little bit, uh, there has been talks of a God of War movie, and uh, Jason Momoa says he would love to play Kratos, which I would assume would be a lot like his Conan uh, when he played that, or maybe even uh, Kyle Drago. Um, 
but also the director of Pacific Rim Uprising, um, Stephen DeKnight, he would like to make a, create a, uh, a God of War movie. Sorry about that, folks. He would like to make a God of War movie, and uh, he he thinks that Dave Bautista would make a, a good Kratos. What do you think of those two castings? Interesting. Um, weirdly, I'm gonna I'm gonna say out of those two, I honest I honestly think I would rather see Bautista. Really? Um, yeah, and 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 that's I don't know. That's not a dig on Momoa at all. I really like Jason Momoa. Um, I don't know, man. Like there was something in Dave Bautista's performance in Blade Runner that I really, ju- I would love to see him take that experience on. Like, I, I really think that he, I mean, I guess it depends on what storyline they go for it too, right? Like what they're trying to accomplish with it, what they're trying to do. But I, I, I think Dave Batista really could pull off, like, especially if they did it based off of this last game, I think he could really pull off the like fatherly vibe and, you know, the, the crass nature of that's I don't think I even said that word. Right. But <laughs> the harshness of, of that Spartan warrior, you know what I mean? And it's not to say that I don't think Momoa could do that, it's just that, like you said, like we've kind of seen Momoa in a similar situation with like Conan and stuff like that. And so I think it could be really cool to to see like maybe Batista or, or you know, maybe even somebody who we haven't really seen do a lot of stuff. You know, maybe we could get somebody that was kind of less of a of a name, you know. Yeah, no, I, 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 at this point, you know, the video game itself is, is very much a, a blank to me. So I don't have the, the baggage of, of knowing a lot about it to have, you know, have a person attached to it. So I think, um, just about anybody that they bring in might, might be a good thing. I, I, I I'll, I'll be good either way. I'm, is basically what I'm saying. So. I was just really blown away by Batista's performance, though, in Blade Runner. Like, I think that really, to me, opened my eyes and solidified him as an actor. Like, no. you know what I mean? Like, he, he, his performance in that, even though it's small, like, is is really powerful and, and really well done on, like, kind of like an emotional spectrum. Uh, especially if you watch that and you watch the short that they did for for Blade Runner, so like I I think it would be a really interesting choice personally. Yeah, no, obviously Batista has very much wanted to to act for a very long time. If you uh, look at a lot of the the stuff with his wrestling career of how he left the WWE because he wanted to, to focus more on acting and you know being in movies and stuff like that, and then obviously as you see what's going on right now in the media with uh, the James Gunn and Disney and Guardians of the Galaxy three. All that, uh, you know, Batista's very much uh, vocal about how he feels about the movies that he's making. So I would say I would agree with you. Blade Runner 2049, he did a phenomenal job in acting, like literally acting, not having to be a physical force that, that he usually is in, in the movies that he's cast in. Um, even if you watched, uh, uh, what was the name of that movie? The the movie that's about the hotel, Hotel Artemis. Like he does a a really good job in that movie. I mean, it's not it's not it's obviously not Blade Runner twenty forty nine caliber, but you know it's yeah. still a good it's a really good job. And I, I mean, I'm afraid that people, most audience view audience goers, 
yeah, moviegoers, audience members would uh, know would really only going to know his his performances in the Guardians movies or the uh, now Avengers: Infinity War movie. Um, so I would I, I would think it, it would it wouldn't be great because they would be expecting that for you know his Kratos uh, performance, but uh, let him shine and that would be awesome. So uh, more power I, I to him if he could get it. I do have to say this. There's an actor that you and I both love that I think would be kind of an... Like, I don't think that they'll cast him for for it. But Dominic Purcell would be a pretty good Kratos, too. Like, he's... he. I mean, like, I get it. He's not nearly as big as Momoa or, or Batista, right? But, like, when you see him as, as you know, basically Dracula in, in, in the Blade movies... And it, like, I mean, he can get pretty buff. Oh yeah, I mean, a, he's a pretty great bald badass actor. Like, he could be a good, he could be a good Kratos too. I could see that. I don't think that'll happen because I don't think he has, I don't think he has quite the same bankability to his name as as the other two do. No. But, but it could still be pretty cool. Yeah, no, I mean, right now he's in Legends of Tomorrow on CW, and you know, people love him as a uh, Mick Rory, the Heat Wave, but. Uh, if you checked him out, and when he was in Prison Break, he was pretty pretty big, muscularly in that, and you know he yeah. had to he had to act, you know, for that whole five seasons that they did of that show. So, I yeah. I, w- I wouldn't be I wouldn't be upset with the, him as Kratos, but I, I'm I, I think you're absolutely right that he's not a movie uh, status star yet. I mean, he's been in a lot of movies, but I just don't think that he's he's not a headliner that they would be looking for i say that he is but i don't think hollywood agrees how about scott adkins though Uh, uh, i like again i really do like scott adkins um i i like he was my second choice for batman after carl urban wow um i was still okay i was still okay with with ben affleck though i thought i thought ben affleck did fine uh, in the context of the films that they made i i I think the movies they made were not, unfortunately, particularly great, um, which is kind of unfortunate. But, you know, that's, I guess, neither here nor there. Uh, I, I, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can see him as Kratos, though. And I think it's just because when I think of him, for whatever reason, he just feels like he'd be a little too agile. Mm-hmm. Which also sounds weird to say, but I just, like, I don't know. He just doesn't have that, like, giant bruiser-type vibe to him that I get from those other actors. You know what I mean? Like, like don't get me wrong. Like, I'm, I'm sure Momoa and Batista are very quick and nimble, especially compared to, to me. But I, I just, there's something about them. There's just, like, this natural gravitas to their presence that I don't, get that vibe from from Atkins. I get a very quick, very agile type vibe from him, which may be totally inaccurate. I don't know, but no, no, that's just the, completely the, accurate. The vibe I get. You, yeah. You watch his uh undisputed movies, you see that he's a uh, agile, quick, uh very um acrobatic actor. So it, I I get what you're saying. Um I just thought, you know, I just think that I actually I I am holding out that the MCU brings Scott Atkins back because he already did he was in the Doctor Strange movie. He's one of uh the the bad guy henchmen that gets he's the one that gets uh beat up by the cape at one point in that movie. But uh okay. 
I think he should be brought back into the MCU as as Taskmaster. That's just my dream. So That'd be sweet. Yeah, if you know, and from what I understand, Taskmaster had been uh, given to Marvel Studios from Fox a long time ago. So now, even but that doesn't matter now because you know Fox and Disney have now merged. So uh, there's yeah. that. Anyways, uh, all right, that's Kratos. Or I'm sorry, that's God of War uh, for anybody that was uh, wanting to to know more about that video game. Uh, I want to talk about August, the movies that came out in August, because I saw three movies in the theater this this past month, and man, was I disappointed! Oh, oh no. I was so disappointed. And the last what one, did you watch? The last one I want to talk about is the one that I, I probably will get the most flack for because uh, how it is supposedly, you know, well, it is it is breaking boundaries, barriers, off off box office. I guess I don't know. Either hmm. way, the three movies I saw were uh, Mile Twenty Two, Mark Wahlberg's new movie about a. Uh, special ops team that works for the cia uh oh, this wasn't good that wasn't good it was not good oh no uh, i had such high hopes for that same here um happy oh. time murders which is the puppet detective noir story with uh melissa mccarthy that wasn't good either. It was not good. <laughs> Dang. And then um, the last one is Crazy Rich Asians, which you know, uh, as a as you can see, this is their this past weekend was their third weekend at number one. They have not like really gone down in box office percentage in the three weeks that it's been out. So it's it is making crazy money. Uh, but I was very disappointed in it in general. So, so I gotta ask because I'm sure everyone listening to this is thinking the same thing. Why do you hate movies, Mitch? I, you know, <laughs> I, I think of that myself, and uh, I don't hate movies. I just I want them to be better. Is is all I have to say. You know, that's fair. Yeah, right. I mean, yeah. I I love movies. I just want movies to be better. Um, so starting with Mile Twenty Two, this is uh, Mark Wahlberg and Peter Berg once again teaming up to make another movie. Uh, this one's a little bit more uh, super action than some of their other ones, like Lone Survivor is obviously based on a true story. Uh, actually, the other three movies they did together are based on a true story. You got Patriot's Day, uh, Deepwater Horizon, and uh, Lone Survivor, which Lone Survivor is obviously about um, the, the character that uh, 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 survived in the, the Middle East when the rest of his platoon was killed. Uh, Patriots Day is about the Boston Marathon bombing, and Deepwater Horizon is about the 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 oil leak in the Gulf uh, Sea. This the yeah Gulf Sea. Is that what it's called? Gulf of Mexico. That's what it's called. So you get uh, you get the two of them back together, and they obviously. I, I, I don't know. I think there's something interesting about this movie. I think that this movie was much longer than what they had, what what eventually you see on the screen. We have a runtime of about an hour and 34 minutes, and it feels very rushed. It feels very rushed, and one of the biggest things, the biggest problem for me in this movie is that I don't think there's one scene or one camera shot that's held for longer than a, a second and a half there's so many flash cuts 
and you know, you know uh, a smash editing that it it the the picture just keeps changing every second to two seconds and I wanted to claw my own eyeballs out by the end of this movie. It it hurts so much. And then you get to they bring in um martial artist actor from the raid and uh raid two, Aiko Uase. I, I don't know if I said his name. I know I said his name wrong, so but uh you know he's he's got several fight scenes in this movie and it's so cut up that you don't even get to see what is actually happening. Like you don't get to see the what I imagine is a well choreographed, you know, uh, time a scene fight scene that took many weeks to film and shoot and and prepare, and it just it looks terrible. There was so many bad things about this movie. Another part is uh, Mark Wahlberg. Like I, I'm not one of these guys that just, or I'm not one of these movie people that just you know craps on Mark Wahlberg and his acting style or you know the movies he chooses I think I think the one he he, he picks a movie like Shooter is one of my favorite movies like just in general yeah. I loved I, I love that I, I'll rewatch that one all the time I just think whenever Wahlberg decides to do a uh, unique character instead of just kind of playing the role he gets too wrapped up into it so in this character this James Silva character that he's playing is supposed to have like a uh, uh, obsessive compulsive disorder, but he's also super intelligent, and you know he's got one of those uh, personalities that if he wasn't focusing all of his uh, mental ability onto saving the world, as they put it, you know he probably would be a serial killer kind of thing. Like he's it's just the way that his brain works. Um, so he's he's playing this character and it's just like it doesn't fit it doesn't really it doesn't really ever hit with me and uh i feel like you don't the, the other part about the movie is that you really don't care about any of the characters like there's a whole team of characters that works with mark Wahlberg, and i mean lauren cohen is one of them round ronda rousey is one of them john malkovich is one of them but you don't care what happens to any of them. And, you know, it's just the movie just keeps plugging along with this plot, this espionage plot that they're supposed to be solving and, and fixing and taking care of terrorists and stuff. And and I, to me, you know, you get to the end of the movie, and you're just like, all right, well, that's I guess that's it. It's it. it I don't care. I, nothing. None, none of that really sticks with me with you throughout the whole thing. So I was just super disappointed overall and uh i guess i mean maybe it's because i myself had hyped it up i in my own brain i had you know uh, i expected more and it just it just never accomplished anything like that well it's interesting too because the uh, yeah, i don't know how to say his name either i Ico. Ico, yeah Ico ua uasi uh, i'm not trying to say his name but he he has a a series that I believe is in the works with Netflix called Woo Assassins. Yes. Uh, that's supposed to be coming out maybe next year. Um, and, and you're right. Like that, that guy is, is definitely has the ability to do fight sequences as we saw in like the raid and the raid two and sort of stuff like that. So, I mean, I feel like that's almost a disservice to the viewer. If you're going to use 800 edits in like, 30 seconds to do a fight scene instead of really letting this guy shine. And I don't know if it's maybe because the other people that are in the scene can't 
you know, pull it off either or what the situation is, but like, it just seems like that's kind of a, a massive disservice to the viewers of the movie to, to do it that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I know exactly what you mean. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I, I would love to hear your opinion if you check it out, maybe once it comes out on uh, VOD or, you know, iTunes or something like that for rental. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I would, uh, I, I was extremely, extremely disappointed in that movie. Uh, going on to the next movie would be uh, Brian Henson's movie of Happy Time Murders. Now, Brian Henson being the son of Jim Henson, and you know, uh, you're getting a movie where puppets are are in this world. Puppets are actual living creatures. They are still filled with just. Uh, you know, cotton stuffing and stuff, but they are living, breathing uh, entities that live amongst humans, but they are treated as second-class citizens. You know, uh, maybe there is a backdoor uh, racial issue that's supposed to be presented in this movie, but it's mm -hmm. never... It's never really spoken about. It's never really made the connection. So it's very thin if 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 they're at, at all. I mean, it's not. I mean, if you watch something like Bright, it's definitely more blatant in that where you know the fantastical animals in that um, movie are supposed to be considered you know the uh, the races that are more common for what we knew in our actual history. So right. This movie, I mean, I know I remember hearing stuff about this movie 10 years ago. So it has been a long time to make this movie. I think at one point, Charlie Theron was supposed to play the role that Melissa McCarthy plays of Detective Connie Edwards. And to me, I understand what they were going for. They, they, they're making this movie with puppets, which we normally associate with kids' movies. But they're, make, they're making them do extremely adult things that you normally don't see say the Sesame street Muppets do, you know what I mean? Um, yeah. and to me, I understand that that was a cool gimmick and that was probably the gimmick that got me interested in it when I saw the trailer, but that, that's still just a gimmick. That's just a thing to get, get me into the theater. I still wanted a good story and they definitely did a, a classic detective noir story in there, but they forgot to actually give us a detective story. Like, they didn't give me anything in the story that was, like, keeping me there, keeping me so that I would be interested in this or to stay interested in it. And I don't know if you saw Sausage Party, I think, was it a year, two years ago that when that came out? Yeah, yeah, yeah. it might have been a little bit longer than that. But, yeah, it, it was within the last few years. I mean, to me, that's kind of the same thing. Uh, it's it's animated movie where they do extremely absurd adult things because it's the the juxtaposition between the two. The like, hey, you've never seen a cartoon kind of do this thing. And to me, when that that the, it's the exact same movie. It just it gets old over over the period of a two hour movie. You know, uh, I wanted something more substantial. Uh, I, I guess which to me. I, I, I might be sounding silly that I wanted a more substantial movie from something that had to do, a comedy that had to do with uh, puppets, you know, uh, having sex with each other. But like, why not? I think I think you definitely could have had a better movie in there. Look at um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Like, 
it's not it's not a Oscar winner or anything like. Well, actually, I think it might have won for some some special effects or something like that. But I mean, it it didn't win any writing Oscars or anything like that. But you know, you still got a pretty uh, good detective story in there. And I think the difference there is that in this movie, our 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 Eddie Valiant character that was played by oh man, why can't I think of the actor's name at the moment? Um. Either way, the detective in Who Framed Roger Rabbit is the human who has the cartoon partner that gets to play extreme. Well, in this one, you know, you have the puppet as the detective, the the cold, uh, hard-nosed detective, and the human who also is a cold, hard-nosed detective, but she ends up being a little bit more crazy because in the movie, Melissa McCarthy's character had a liver transplant, but she has a a puppet's liver inside of her, so she's able to do the hard sugar. And yes, sugar is a drug for puppets. <laughs> so she's able to do the hard sugar and she kind of gets addicted to it and she just kind of goes on benders and stuff. So she gets a little bit more wacky. But like, you, you, the puppets are made to be wacky. I mean, if you think about Kermit the Frog going crazy with his arms flapping around in the air kind of thing. Like, that's what a puppet is there for. But you have this puppet just being super stoic and his eyes just look blah. Like, you know, it's like you're following this guy around as the as the main character and it's just not doing anything. So, it well, was, I, I don't know how true this is. Um, I, I had somebody that had told me they had watched an interview or read an article or something with, with Brian Henson. And what they were telling me was is that he was actually pretty upset with the studio. Okay. Uh, again, take this all with a grain of salt. I don't have any information to back this up. I don't know if any of this is true. This is just literally what somebody told me, but it kind of does correlate, I think, a little bit to, like, what you're saying. But, like, he was kind of upset with the studio, and they he, from what I remember them telling me, is that he had this huge fully developed detective story with like subplot and like arcing subplots and like all this sort of stuff. Right. And uh, the studio, I guess, allegedly ran it through all of these uh, test audiences and they were like, Oh no, like that's just way too complicated to follow. We didn't enjoy it. Like it needs to just be puppets doing silly, you know, dick and fart joke type stuff. And so I, from what this person told me, and not that they have any inside information, I think they just heard this in an interview or read it somewhere or something, uh, but that the studio had a lot to do with changing what this movie was and really just whittled it down to the common denominator that it's puppets doing adult stuff and that's funny and that's the punchline. Uh, and I guess he was pretty upset with, with that because he really wanted to tell this whole story and all that. So... I don't know if that's true, but if it if it is, that kind of sounds like that's what the movie actually ended up being, uh, which is massively unfortunate and a missed opportunity from what you're describing to me. Yes, definitely, and and you, I would I would love to see if that's true. I would love to see Brian Hansen's version of this movie because I I really feel like there there was something there was something could that could have been great in this, and uh, it's unfortunate that we didn't get to see it. Yeah, that sucks. That sucks. Okay, so last movie that I was disappointed in, and this is the one that, like I said, that I think I will get the most guff for because people were just singing the praises of this movie, and obviously people were loving it, that it's gone the third week in a row at number one in the box office and made just about all the monies that 
could have been made. I mean, uh, I think the they said that the the last movie it just it just beat out the last highest grossing romantic comedy, which was Trainwreck. Uh, it it just beat that one out, and then uh, I think the one before that it, it still hasn't made as much money as uh, my Big Fat Greek Wedding has made yet. So hmm. uh, that that there's your like um, scale for you know what Crazy Rich Asians has done. Now I think the big story behind Crazy Rich Asians at this moment, other than the fact that people are liking it, is that um, the 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 whole cast is is either Asian or Asian American actors. Uh, you know, I think we have uh, almost completely Asian crew. Uh, it was written by uh, an Asian writer it, and uh, the director, John M. Chu, who had made uh, oh, what, I don't know, some, some of his other stuff that he had made was, uh, oh, G.I. Joe Retaliation, uh, Now You See Me Too. Um, so he, he's got some, uh, you know, He's got some movies behind him, but obviously nothing at this level yet. Right. So. Right. Uh, it's and also it sounded like uh, at one point in time, Netflix had offered to make this movie for John John M. Chu and uh, the writer's name is Kevin Kwan. The book, the the writer of the book, I believe, is yeah Kevin Kwan. And uh, they turned it down because they wanted it to go to theaters. They knew that they had something here that they wanted to go to theaters. So, you know, obviously in a time when we are being more conscious of people, everybody being represented on the screen, you know, people being, uh, or younger people being able to see people that represent them in the movies and stuff like that, this is why, you know, this is an important movie for people of Asian descent. Now, after all that being said, man, was this movie not good. <laughs> uh, don't get me wrong. The, the directing, was pro- is pro- I think, was as good as it could have been. And the writing, I don't know. It, it, some of it was just lost on me. I just think that the comedy part of it was just too 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 obvious at at points other stuff is just so okay one one of the big problems i had with the movie and uh you know the character played by constance Wu, who's the main character she her character is uh, rachel chu she falls in love with the character nick young and they go to Singapore to uh, meet his extended family because he is going to be the best man for uh, a wedding of, you know, of somebody. Uh, well, obviously his best friend. And they, the two characters have been dating for a year. A year in New York City. And she has not, she doesn't know that his family is ridiculously rich or as the title of the movie is, Crazy Rich. Um, and I just find that implausible. Like in this day and age, how could she not know that he comes from a super wealthy family? Like after a year, like when I saw the trailer for this movie, I thought, oh, maybe they've been dating for a month and he, you know, or maybe two months and he invites her back to, to Singapore to see his family and stuff like that. But no, this is a year. There's no way that she could not have known this. 
So, so basically, she just didn't like Ben verified him or Google his name or stalk him on Facebook or anything. Like I she mean, after didn't a, do that once in a year. After yeah, exactly. After a year, do you really? Is it really? Is it really considered stalking on Facebook? Shouldn't they already be Facebook friends? And he should be noticing all. She should be noticing the stuff that he's being tagged in. Like oh, totally. I just think that's like a generic term for like going in and looking at somebody's stuff. Like, I'm just saying, like, I think that in today's world, most people would lead with that. Most people would just be like, well, let me go on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, blah, 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 whatever else. Like, Twitter. Like, they're, they're probably going through everything. Like, she probably would have, like, in today's world, probably known his blood type before they even went on a third date. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so, yeah, I agree with you. That's kind of a silly premise. Yeah, so when I see, when that happens at the beginning of the movie, like, it, it's already, to me, it's like the premise of this movie doesn't make any sense to me it, it's hard for me to now separate myself or what's the uh separate my disbelief from this movie or suspend my disbelief from this movie just for that part so then we get to you know uh obviously she is now can she because she even though she is an econ professor at nyu you know a pretty prestigious job she is yeah. looked down upon because she is not rich and she is also asian american as opposed to being just Asian, as uh, this family now needs. So it's not, and it's not just his family, but it's his family and the friends of his family and the close uh, family members of the other families and stuff like that that look down on her, call her a gold a gold digger. You know, they bring uh, they bring in the one of his past girlfriends that uh, you know obviously he did not end up with. And uh, she she pulls a she first befriends the the girl and then gets the rest of the girls in the bridal party to uh, put a dead fish in her bed at the ho- at the at the hotel and it, and, uh, and I'll get to that other part in a second but like not just a dead fish in the in the in the in the bed but like using the fish's blood write a message on the wall saying you're a gold digger get the fuck out kind of thing like wow I'm like okay, you're doing all this great thing for Asian people, but now you're sending back women like 30 years. Like, shouldn't we be getting past that kind of storyline for women in, in general? Like, I know that I am not a woman and I don't have that privilege or I, I have my male privilege and stuff, but like, I feel like we should be getting, if if you keep doing, representing these things in movies, in our media, you know, our movies and our TV shows, then the younger women are going to still think that that's the right thing to do, or that's the thing that they should be doing kind of thing. So you're perpetuating. It's still the catch 22, you know, it's an endless cycle. So that also got me very upset. This other thing that she's, so this, she's this econ professor at NYU and the whole like beginning of the movie shows her as she is teaching uh, specifically game theory to, uh, you know, her students. She uh, is playing poker with the student and, he, she, she's like, look, you're playing to not lose. I'm playing to win. There's the difference. That's the difference. That's why you lost. You didn't play to win. And you expect that to become a thing in the movie. It does, but not to almost like the end of the movie, like, you know, well into the third act. And she finally is like, oh, I know what to do here because I'm a game theory professor. So let me tr- try this out. And then they basically, the, the culmination of it is a mahjong game. And it's like, well, that doesn't that's not how I that's not how it should have been applied. She should have been applying her game theory this whole time throughout the movie 
to one up the mother or you know uh, one up the family or play to win as she she described it early early on in the movie. So yeah, she, she was playing to win the dude exactly to or to win over the family more more than anything yeah. else to yeah, show that true. she does belong. So weird. There's a lot of things that I just like it. I understand why this is an important movie for a lot of people, but like. How about we make it an important movie that's also good? Like, can we do that? I yeah, I mean, I agree with you. Like, I haven't seen it, but I mean, from what you're describing to me, it sounds like there was uh, you know, the ability to do something a little bit more powerful and a little bit different, but uh doesn't sound like they quite got there, but again, maybe I shouldn't be talking at all because uh I'm at the pinnacle of the pillars for uh white privilege and male privilege privilege yeah so you know i really don't have a lot of room to step in here and mansplain you know or or race explain how they should be making movies to uh to asian move, audiences move. yeah but see you can get away with that because you're can, at least well, asian yeah like i said i, I am uh, i am asian american of asian descent so i i so, i understand where people are coming from with the needing to be yeah. represented and yeah. i have this whole other spiel about the whole represent representation yes yes it is important for people to be represented in movies and for people to our young our, our younger generation to be able to look up at a movie and see hey that person looks like me kind of thing however yeah. i think that too many people come about it the wrong way i think you should be able to watch a movie or read a book or watch a tv show and you should be like that's an attribute that i want to see in myself not the other way around like you should strive to be the better person instead of having them mirror you kind of thing Damn, Mitch, dropping <laughs> knowledge bombs over here. That's that's just one of the things, and that's just you know that's a that's a thing that, that I feel, and that that comes from reading comic books and like Superman. Like if I if I read a Superman comic book, I want to strive to be Superman. I don't want stri- Superman to strive to be me, kind of thing. That makes sense. I no, can, I could I could totally get behind that. Yeah. So I mean, and obviously Superman doesn't look like me. So uh, you know that's that's another thing. What? <laughs> no, I'm just, well, I don't look like Superman either. Let me tell you what. I don't think there's been one comic book that I've ever picked up and been like, damn, that superhero looks like me. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, you're white, so most of them look like you. That's, saying, like, that's what okay, everybody's trying to tell you right now. Maybe tonality, maybe, <laughs> maybe color tonality-wise, but I'll tell you, I've never, never had the physical appearance of just about any comic well maybe kingpin but it's <laughs> not really a superhero there's not there's not a lot of superheroes that look like the average dad bod american right now all right last thing i wanted to say about crazy rich asians is that it gets it goes way too overboard with the with the the rich people porn i guess is the best way to put it uh what is that or, or i should say the wealth porn like is is i mean there's just about every other scene is like oh my god look at how much money these people have and what they do with it like kind of scene like the, mm. the the lady's uh bridal shower is her own private island you know where they what? where all the 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 bachelorette party goes on uh a shopping spree like all paid expense shopping sprees on the private island like that's crazy uh the the bachelor party is on a uh a um cargo ship one of those giant tanker cargo ships that you know carries other tankers kind of thing like train cars uh and it and on that they they made out a area in the middle of the ship where it's just 
DJs and fireworks and women dressed in bikinis and all kinds of shit and on international waters, which they had to take a helicopter to get to, like, kind of thing. Like, <laughs> this is just wealth porn. Like, it just made me feel terrible. Like, I don't want to see how... I'm not living this kind of life. Like I, I've watched movies where you know rich people do rich people things, but this is like excessive rich. There's a point where they, for the wedding in the movie that fe- is featured in the movie, they rent out a giant cathedral, like Catholic cathedral, in the middle, or maybe it's not Catholic. It must be Methodist because they say they talk about how they're Methodist in the in the movie. But uh, a giant, you know, cathedral church. And uh, not only do they just rent it out, but they redecorate it so that it looks like a fucking uh, rice paddy swamp. Like, what? And they put water. They have running water going on the floor for the bride <laughs> to walk on. Like, this is ridiculous rich, you know? So uh. it's like, I, I didn't, it's it, like, if you wanted to make a movie where I just cannot connect with these people at all, you just did it because I'm never going to have that kind of money in my life. You know, I was just, you, you were talking about taking like a helicopter to like a private island, and like the only thing I could think of was like the only way you could get more rich is if they spent exuberant amount of money to clone dinosaurs and then they <laughs> went to Jurassic Park. Exactly. That's the. I, I'm surprised there weren't some clone dinosaurs on on either one of the bachelor party or the bachelorette party. So that's where I thought you were going. I was like, <laughs> oh, Jurassic World Two is uh, it's the prequel, uh, Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah. Like that's how. That happens. So, all right. So that was the the month of August in movies for me. Uh, I just thought that, you know, I was very disappointed. Uh, I think in a future episode, I would love to talk to you about uh, what you think about coming upcoming fall movies before we get to the, you know, coveted block or not blockbuster, but Oscar bait movie season. So, yeah. Uh, if anybody has some input on that or any of the movies or any of the topics that we talked about today, we'd love to hear from you. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm on Twitter at, at Mitchipedia, G-E-R. Richard's also on Twitter as? At Ry Cohen, R-I-C-O-W-N. And make sure to check out his Twitch channel, which is? Twitch.tv, Ry Cohen 1, R-I-C-O-W-N, and the number 1. If you want to get a hold of anybody else on Geek Elite Radio, at Geek Elite Radio is our Twitter handle at Geek Elite Radio on Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. Check out our website, geekeliteradio.com for archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Mitch and Rich Show on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek out. Geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.